Here's what I've learned. If the pastor is not excited about the message, no one else will be. The other side of that truth is, even if he's excited, does not mean everybody else will be. So am I excited? Absolutely. All right. Guys, I wanted to say this before we get started. Um, There's something about Thanksgiving Day and setting apart that day, and it, it just, it makes you reflect on what, what you're grateful for. And I was trying to put my finger on why I am so thankful for City Church, and I'm, I'm having so much joy in pastoring. And, and here's what I came up with. First, uh, the, the staff and elders that are serving with me are such a wonderful community of love and joy that that is certainly part of it. The second thing is, is the way that you folks, year after year, give and serve in this place. And, and here's what I mean by the way you do it. When we make a need known like the Packer Northport or Missions or, or Belize or whatever, whatever it is, or we need somebody to work here or somebody to do this, the, the joy that you do what you do here is just amazing. We, there's never any arm twisting. There's, it has just been, it's just been so easy and it's because of you have willingly served the Lord by serving and giving to this church. And I just, I want to say thank you. You have given, you have given me so much joy in, uh, in this church. And so thank you. All right. All right. Would you stand in honor of God's word? So this is the last series. We've been doing a series in the Psalms. Every week has been one word. We did delight. We did rest. We did thirst. Last week was mercy. And this week is called Thanksgiving. Here we go. Psalm 118, if you have a Bible. Otherwise, you can just look up here. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say his love is everlasting. Should we say it together right now? His love is everlasting. Okay, verse 19. Is there another screen? Yep, one more, boom. It is better, open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, 
It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh Lord, do save, we beseech you. Oh Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. And then it ends the same way it begins. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to you. And that you would open our hearts to the response that you are looking for. The response, the only response redemption requires. And that is thanksgiving. Speak. Hide me behind your cross so that we can hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanksgiving. Point one is thank God for his goodness. So watch this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks. You don't don't need anything else happening right now. Just on this one thing. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Now, Jesus tells us in Mark 10 that not just that God is good, but that God alone is good. That all goodness everywhere, in any place, any human being, has its source in God. God alone is good. When, when, God, when Moses asked to see God's glory, God said to him, I'm going to hide you in the rock, and then I'm going to allow all of my goodness to pass before you. The center of the glory of God is his goodness. Now, I want to explain the entire Old Testament and New Testament to you through Dennis the Menace. Okay, so here we go. Are you ready? I, 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 can, I can get a hold of Dennis the Menace. And so, so I hope you can too. So here's, here's the cartoon. First frame, Dennis and Joey are eating cookies off of a plate of cookies. Frame two, Joey says to Dennis, I wonder what we did that made Mrs. Wilson make these cookies for us. Frame three, Dennis, Joey. Mrs. Wilson doesn't make us cookies because we're good. Mrs. Wilson makes us cookies because Mrs. Wilson is good. So let's get into the Old and New Testaments. The Old Testament is based on this, that if we will be good, if we will act good, that God will bless us. 
And that is why the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, it is filled with God's judgment because we don't do good. We don't do good. We always fall short of what would be good. The New Testament, the gospel, which means good news, is not based on our goodness. It's based on his goodness. Jesus did not come to this earth and die on a cross because we are good. He came, he died on that cross because he is good. This is, this is very central to understanding how the gospel works and how we respond to God today. This is about his goodness. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Do not put your trust, it says. Put your trust in the Lord and not in people. Put your trust in the Lord, verse 8, and not in princes. That means people are going to let you down, and princes means rulers, and those in authority are going to let you down, and don't, don't put your trust in them. Ultimately, they are not good in themselves, and you are going to despair if your trust is in people. You're going to eventually despair because you're going to see how they fall short, and they fall short, and they fall short, and it, it sours us. You look at princes and leaders and politicians and pastors and, and, and you want them to be this and they're not quite that and it leads to disappointment and easily leads to despair. And that's why it says, when you see others falling short, instead of despairing, remember the one that is good. There is one that is good. Even when man and women let you down. There is one that is good. Don't give in to despair. He is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. He is beautiful, even if people aren't. Now, here's the other side of it. There's another person that you shouldn't put your trust in, and that's yourself. In, in Romans 7, Paul talks about self-realization and self-discouragement and self-frustration. He says, the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. The things I don't want to do, I am doing. Who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from this struggle that I'm having with sin? And it's so beautiful to remember in your struggle and when you see evil in you to remember Praise God, there's one that's good. Paul says, who's going to deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. When our lives are difficult and our circumstances are impossible, let our eyes rise above them to God himself and declare his goodness, even in the face of everything going wrong around us. Even though everything is bad in our lives, let us look above and give God what's called in scripture the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Look at, look at Psalm 50, verse 23. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving, 
honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. One translation says it this way. Offer to me a sacrifice of thanksgiving. This is how you will honor me. And it doesn't just honor me. It actually prepares the way for your salvation. You, when you, a sacrifice means you're not in the mood. <laughs> a sacrifice means you're not, it's not flowing. You, you are working at this thing. It's costing you something. When your circumstances are bad and you want to give in to despair, you want to give in to complaining, you want to give in to grumbling, it's going to cost you something to come before God, who you're kind of mad at because otherwise everything wouldn't be bad of God. And instead of voicing that to start with, you are good. You are good. You're a good God. You're good to me. And I'm starting right there. That's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It brings honor to God and it prepares the way for salvation. So here we are, 2 Chronicles 20. Israel has three armies at the same time coming against them. If one army is coming against you, you get your troops ready to battle. There's an army coming, we're, we're going to fight them, we get ready to battle. If two armies are coming against you, not only do you get your troops ready, but you call your neighbors and say, hey, we're going to need some help, there's two armies coming. But when three armies are coming at the same time, when life is so overwhelming and circumstances are so impossible, he doesn't even talk, he doesn't talk to the army, he doesn't talk to his friends, he says, we need to declare a day of fasting and prayer. We... This is way beyond us. We need God. We must have God. So they get before God. They have this day of fasting and prayer. And in the middle of their prayer, God comes through a prophet and he says these words. Don't be afraid. Because the battle's not yours. It's, it's the Lord's. You are not going to have to fight in this battle. Tomorrow, go and face your enemy. It, when God says you're not going to have to fight in this battle, he does not mean that you're going to hide from what's wrong and he'll take care of it and then you come out when it's all better. No, no. You still got to go out tomorrow and face your enemy. You still got to live your life. You, we don't retreat in fear. We face fear. We face that which we're afraid of. But God says, I'm go you watch and see what I'm going to do. I am going to fight on your behalf. And so it's, it's the next day. There's three armies coming towards Israel. Jehoshaphat, in, in accordance to this promise, says, let's, let's send the singers out first. Here's who's going to face the enemies, the worshipers. And so here's what it says. They quote Psalm 118. They, 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 the singers say this. They, they're, they're, they're walking, they're, they're, they're going on to face the enemy, and here's what they say. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. They proclaim the character and the goodness of God. Now, I, I want you, it's, it's really important. This is not the psalm that they're picking up after God has delivered them. It's still bad. There's still three armies out there. The, the mortgage is still not paid. The, the sickness is still not healed. They're, they're in the midst of this thing still. 
but they declare the goodness of God and the character of God. And the Bible says this. This is 2 Chronicles 20, 21, and 22. It says this. As they began to sing, the Lord sent ambushes against their enemies. As God, it was as if God was waiting for their sacrifice of thanksgiving. The sacrifice of thanksgiving actually prepares the way for God's salvation. It actually, when you get your, your heart and your mind off of just what's wrong and lift them to the one that is right, you are starting to order your way aright. You're starting to order a way, order a path forward. The path forward, we're always looking for horizontal answers. God, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Listen, the answer starts above horizontal. You got to go vertical. You got to go vertical. It starts with you are good. I affirm it. Your love endures forever. You are an amazing God. You're good and you're good to me. Start there. That is preparing the way for the salvation of God. Come on. Thanking God for his goodness is the key that unlocks God's presence. It's the human key. The divine key, of course, was Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus died. He opened up heaven. God's presence is available to his people today. But the human key is thanking God for his goodness. Now, I want, I want you to see this. Ezra 3.11. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So they're laying the foundation. This is the new temple now. This is after the captivity. They've come back. They're laying the new foundation. Ezra is the priest that's over it. And as part of the foundation, it's not just brick and mortar. It is the character. He quotes Psalm 118. He quotes this song. This is laid in the foundation. You are good and your loving kindness endures forever. Thanking God for who he is is part of the foundation of the temple. The temple, of course, is where the presence of God is. Now look at, look at this. Verses uh, 19 through 21 of Psalm 118. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you. Look at Psalm 100, 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. So I'm kind of a Lord of the Rings fan. And there is a scene, I can't even remember which movie it's in, probably the second one, where Gan Gandalf is trying to lead the people and uh, he, the company, the fellowship is being led by Gandalf and they have to go underneath the mountain and they've got to go through this gate, the gate of Mo Moria. Moria. And, uh, but the problem is, is there's, there's, no, there's no lock to open this gate, you actually, 
you have to say something. And, and Gandalf is reading, and Gandalf knows all the languages. And he, he, reads, he reads the language, and it says, speak, friend, and enter. And so one of the hobbits says, what does that mean? He says, well, that simply means this. If you're a friend, you just need to speak whatever the password is, and it, it will open for you. And so he is trying every password he can possibly think of. And he's, he's trying. There's, and nothing will open this thing. And if you've ever had a, a locked door and not had the right key, you know what this feels like. It's just like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And it's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how easy a door opens if you have the right key? <laughs> and how frustrating it is when this key doesn't fit. So he's in the middle, he's frustrated, frustrated, he can't get this thing open. Then he starts laughing. And he realizes he's mistranslated it. What it actually says is, say, friend, and enter. And he's like, oh my, this is so easy. And he just says, friend, and the gates open. Now here's what I found out about the presence of the Lord. You want to you experience the presence of God. Listen. The gate opens with thanksgiving. The, the gate doesn't open with your good works. It doesn't open with complaining and grumbling. You want that gate open of coming into the presence of God. Get your eyes off of you. Get your eyes off of what's wrong. Get your eyes on which you wit, what, what you wanted God to do. Get your eyes on his Goodness, and start making this sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's, it's not hard to be in the presence of God, folks. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Now, once you're in, the Bible invites us to, to give our complaint, to give our grief, to process everything that's wrong enough. Process it all with God. You bring everything to God. Be honest with God. But that's not how you get in. You get in with thanksgiving. You get in with thanksgiving. Don't make this more complicated than it is. People are, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stuck. I can't, I can't seem to get through. I can't seem to experience God. I can't. Listen. This is simpler than you think it is. You're, 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 you're like Gandalf trying to come up with some way to get, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? Listen, stop. Just start thanking him for who he is. Start focusing on his goodness. You'll get in, don't worry. Jesus has already died. He's done his part. But this is the human key. Come and start thanking him. The Lord is Good, and his loving kindness endures forever. God, I thank you for who you... Pastor Tom, I'm not, I, you know, I don't feel it today. I don't feel it. That's why it's a sacrifice. That's why, that's what, come on. Come on, folks. Let's get into his presence. And you can do this every day. Every day, those gates will open for you. Raise your eyes above your circumstances and bring the, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Don't shout me down just because I'm preaching good. All right. <laughs> Point two, thank God for his help. I called on the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. 
Listen to Psalm 107, 13 through 15. They're not going to have it up there. I'll get, I'll, I'll get all my notes to you for second service, but first service never gets my notes. Okay. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Psalm 107 is another thanksgiving psalm. It starts with the same words of Psalm 118. The Lord is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is good and his loving kindness endures forever. Then Psalm 107 lists situation after situation after situation where people cried out to God in their impossible circumstances and God delivered them. And then this encouragement. Here's what God's looking for. He's not looking for a spirit of repayment. He's looking for gratitude. Let them, for what God has done for them, let them take time to say thank you. Let them be willing to say to others. It says in verse two, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them be willing to tell of God's goodness and what God did for them. Let them be thankful and express thanksgiving. Guys, this is the language of our redemption. The redeemed, the heart of the redeemed is thankful. It's not repayment, it's thanksgiving. It's thanksgiving with our, with our voice and thanksgiving with our lives. Even when Paul is calling us to lay our lives down in Romans 12, 1. Do you know what it says when it says, you know, give your lives as a, as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship? It's not repayment. It starts with this, in view of God's mercy. For 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has talked about God's mercy for us in Christ, what Christ did for us, what, God, what grace has done for us. The, the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace that God has poured out on his goodness. Now, in view of God's mercy, in response, willingly, thankfully, gratefully, give God not just your speech, but your life. And let your life be a thank offering. Let your whole life be a thank offering. Now, here's the funny thing. If the people of God would just grab a hold of thanksgiving, and just, just live in view of his mercy. Evangelism becomes very, very simple. Philippians 2, it's about like verses 16 through 18. And somebody will check me and later tell me I'm probably a little off. But that's okay. Paul says this. Don't grumble and complain. But, but rather... Live these lives of gratitude and you will be shining stars in the darkness. In the midst of a perverse and twisted generation, when we are grateful, we just shine. We've got a whole generation looking down and complaining about the government, complaining about people, complaining about their spouse, complaining, complaining, complaining. When somebody embraces a grateful heart, and lives a life of gratitude, you just shine. You shine like stars. Thanksgiving is the language of redemption. Let the redeemed of the Lord 
say so. Thank God for his help. I, I journal, most of you know that I have a prayer journal every day. And what I love to do is go back in my prayer journal because I've got all these prayers in there and write, I will write in, usually it's in a different color ink, the, the, the answers. Okay, this got answered this way. And then when I, when I put the answers in there, I start thanking God. Thanking God for what he did. Sometimes it's just thanksgiving that I've already given, but I go back and I start thinking. Thanksgiving builds you, man. It builds your faith. It builds, it takes depression off you. It takes discouragement off you. Thanksgiving is very, very powerful. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. Psalm 118, I called on the Lord in my distress and he answered me. So here we have it. Luke 17, it's 10 lepers. Ten lep- you, if you can imagine leprosy, it's not just a physical disease, which there was no cure in that day, where you're getting worse and worse and worse. It was a social disease. You couldn't be with other people. You had to shout unclean. You had to live separately. It was bad in so many ways. And in that distress, these ten lepers cry out in their distress. David, son of David, have mercy. Have mercy on us. And just like it says in Psalm 107, God is touched by our cries, God. Guys, he is touched by our cries to him. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We touch him with our our prayer and our cry and our need for help. And, And so they cry out, and Jesus gives them this response. Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they go, all 10 of them are healed. All 10 are delivered from leprosy. All 10 are miraculously delivered. But only one of them comes back, bows at Jesus' feet, and says, thank you. And here's what Jesus says. Where are the other nine? Where are they? God marvels at our ungratefulness. So can I tell a story on myself? So I'm in Grand Atour. I'm the, I'm the youth pastor. This is my first call to ministry. It's 1987. We've got a new youth group. And Alice and I, we've got two little, little children, Matt and Annie. They're probably, I don't know, two and three. And, uh, and we've got this youth group, and we're involved in all kinds of things. And we've got this fundraiser going on. And it's, it's, we live in, in Dixon. Well, it's another, it's another town over. Um, and it's, it's about 30, it takes about a half hour to get there. And so the youth group all meets at the church and we load up the vans and we go out to work. We're serving, but we're going to get paid for it. And um, well, one young youth, probably seventh grader, missed, missed the, the cutoff time and wasn't there. And so she called my wife at home. And she said, I am so sorry. I got up late. I missed, I missed, the, I missed the, the leaving time, but I just, I want to serve. I signed up to serve. And, and Alice is just kind of moved with compassion. This, so she says, I'll come and get you. Well, it turns out that she lives on the other side. So it's going to be, now not only is Alice going to load up two kids 
but she's going to have to go 15 minutes the other direction and then drive her 45 minutes this direction just to drop her off so she can be at the event. But Alice feels, because she loves kids, she feels this compassion, and so she, she picks her up, uh, takes her all the way over there, and, uh, and after the event is over, Alice, I talk to Alice, and she says, uh, she never said thank you. I was happy to do everything that I did. But when, she, when we got there, she just got out of the car. It was as if she was entitled to have me do that. And all the sacrifice that I made, she couldn't even say the words, thank you. Thank you for what you did for me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very young and very zealous at this point, And I am just stewing. I am like, how can this young lady be so ungrateful? I am angry. I am like, that is the worst thing that anybody could ever do to anybody. And I'm right in the middle of my stew. I will never forget this. I'm, I'm in our apartment and I'm just stewing about how horrific this is. And the Lord, I have this stream of thoughts and here's what it is. Why are you so angry at her? You do this all the time to me. (laughs) Honestly, it was like a knife went through my heart. And all of a sudden, in just like a moment, my eyes were opened that everything we had in this apartment, there was a story of how we got it and how God provided it. And I never take the time to say thank you. And I literally, the rest of that day, I'm just... God, thank you for this coffee table. You are amazing. I I love this coffee table, God. You provided this kitchen table. These chairs. Are you kidding me? God, chairs. We have chairs here. Because you are good and you've been good to me. And I just, I just like, I saw it. I could see it so clearly. The ungratefulness in this young lady. But my own ungratefulness was hidden from me. And, and, and so I've, I've tried to come back to that. God, please, God. Isn't it interesting how little Thanksgiving costs you? It's really not that difficult of a sacrifice. It just takes a little time, a little reflection to what it must have taken for God. How many angels had to be around for you to not have that accident? How many, you know, what had to happen behind the scenes? One day we will see it all and we'll be like, oh my God, you are so good and so good to me. Thank God for his help. But God doesn't just want to help us. He wants to be our helper. Look at Psalm 118, 6 6 and 7. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. Now, there is a difference between help and a helper. Let me explain. So in July, my first grandchildren were born. Two little little boys were born prematurely. They were in the NICU for a week, and they came home, and it turns out these twin boys, um, and, they, and it was beautiful. They got, they got to be born here, and they were with us all the way through the missions conference. And, but these little guys, 
they 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 took a lot of work. I mean, it, it's here's how you know you have one. Well, maybe it would be easier to just have two at once. No. No, 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 no. Two is not just twice as much work because when you have two, one can wake up the other one. Okay? So, so it's, it's more than twice the work. And so Alice was spending all of her time literally living with Josh and Ann while they were here. Somebody had given them a house and living with them, taking care of these kids. But every time I went over there, they all just looked horrible. The twins looked great. And the, everybody with them looked horrible. And... Uh, so, but in September, Annie started experiencing fear because she was having to go back. She's having to go back to Mexico, and she's going to be taking care of these two, these two herself, and, and, uh, and how am I going to do it? And there was some comfort because while I was in India, Alice went to Mexico, and so she knew she was going to have her, her mom come for a couple weeks and be with these twins, and that's help. But she needed something more than help. She needed a helper. The day the fear left was the day that God answered her prayer. And there's a lady down there. If Annie could have chosen anybody in the world that was down there, it would have been this precious Mexican woman named Naele, an older woman. And she told Josh's dad that she would like to be the one to be the helper that would be there all the time for those kids. And for pay, but it's very, it labor's very cheap down there. But she could go back because now she had not just Alice coming to help her for a little while, she had a permanent helper. See, we need more than help as human beings, we need a helper. We, we need to get through every single day and we need to get through not just this day, but we got to get through tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And thank God that he helps us do this and do that. But we need somebody 24-7 with us. We're a lot of work. Has anybody noticed that? And God is not just offering to be, to help us. He's offering to be our helper. Look at um, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 quotes Psalm 118. Listen to this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God has said this. I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. So we say something. Now, because God said that, we start saying something. Here's what we say. With confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? God doesn't just want to help you. He wants to be your helper. He wants to be 24-7 with you. And this is not presumption. He's the one that said, I will not leave you or forsake you. He has said that. That is his promise, no matter what you feel like. And it's not presumption to say, not just to say it, but to say it with confidence. The Lord is my helper. Can we put that back up there, that verse back up there? Because I want to say it together. Let's say this together. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. 
What can mere mortals do to... Okay, thank you. Now let's say it with confidence. Uh, seriously, I, I want your confidence to rise. This, you've got to own this stuff. You've got to own the promises of God for yourself. You've got to say, this isn't just for Pastor Tom. This is not just for the larger body. This is for me. I can start saying this with confidence. Do it again. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? This is why Paul can say in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You can say, well, Paul, that's great for you, buddy. That, that, that is just great for you. That's a neat thought, but you have no idea what's going on in my life. Listen, in, not for everything. Everything that happens in your life isn't good. But in everything, you can still thank God because God's able to work everything for good. So let's hear Paul now. Now let's hear it when Paul's life is back. Because in Thessalonians, when he writes Thessalonians, he's in the midst of ministry, successful ministry. Everywhere he goes, miracles are happening. But let's test Paul's word on himself. Now we're in Philippians. He's in prison. A Roman prison. Not our prisons. A Roman prison. It's bad. He's chained. He's not going anywhere. Food's not good. This is before they had pizza. You think of Italian, you think of pizza. Not, no, don't. Here's what he says. Philippians 4, 12 and 13. It no longer matters whether I have an abundance or I have nothing. I've learned the secret to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's he saying? It doesn't matter what's happening in my life because I have the helper. The helper's always with me. Whatever I have to go through, I never go through it alone. Jesus will help me go through anything. It doesn't matter what's in the future. I don't, I'm not afraid of the future because Jesus is going to be with me in the future. I've got a helper. I don't just get help by God. I have the helper. I can do anything. Him and I can do anything together. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. All right, let me, let me close with this last point. Thank God. Thank God for his goodness. That was point one. Thank God for his help. That was point two. Here's point three. Thank God if you see his salvation. If you see his salvation. Psalm 118. Verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The builders rejected the stone. Most, even though Psalm 118 is anonymous, and that, that just means nobody said, it doesn't say who it was written by, most scholars believe David wrote it, and here's why. It's messianic. David saw God's salvation. David saw Jesus before Jesus came. Probably like no one else in the Old Testament other than maybe Isaiah, he saw Jesus. He saw, uh, in Psalm 2, he sees that 
His name is going to be the son and that he's going to be begotten by the father in time. Today, today uh, I have begotten you. That, that, that the son is going to be born in human history. He sees the crucifixion in Psalm 22. He sees, a, he describes a crucifixion when he says it is finished in Psalm 22. It is about the, the price that Messiah was going to pay. He sees, he sees Redemption. He sees the things that Jesus was going to do. In Psalm 16, this is one of the primary verses that's quoted about the resurrection. That David says this about Messiah. His body is not going to decay. He is going to be raised up bodily. This is one of the only places in the Old Testament where you've got bodily resurrection. It's about Messiah in Psalm 110, he sees there's going to be a change of covenants and change of priesthoods. There's, he's going to be a priest that's going to be both king and priest on the basis of a life that is everlasting. The, the Lord said to my Lord that, that the, this priest and king that's coming in this new priesthood is going to be God himself, is going to be in the form of Messiah. He saw Messiah, but he also saw the plan. And in the plan... He saw that the builders, the Jewish people, were going to reject the Messiah. Jesus quotes this in Luke 20, 17. He had just given a parable about um, the la- that first the prophets came and they killed them, and then the son comes and they kill him. And he says, Jesus looked directly at them and, and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, has become the cornerstone. So one of the joys of being in India was I got to hear Pastor Nick. Pastor Nick's at High Point, and he, he, he did half the sessions. I did half the sessions. And, um, we're training pastors, and he says, he says to the pastors, if you, if you want to preach better, you've got to read your Bible better. And the biggest hindrance, the biggest hindrance to reading your Bible is what you think you already know. That, that we, we tend to read it already with what we believe, and we just kind of read what we already believe, and we don't see what's right in front of us. And, and so then he had a little fun with us. He says, 1 Corinthians 2.10, he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. And he says, what's, what is that scripture about? And everybody's got their hand up, and... Everybody's saying, well, that's about heaven. That's, that's heaven. God's prepared heaven for those who love him. We can't see now, but it's amazing. And, and, uh, and he said, he said, what you've just given is an example where you take something that is theologically true. That is true. There is a heaven waiting, and we can't see it right now. He said, but that's not what that verse is about. You, you actually have to read the Bible and read what it actually says. So l- look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, here, 7 through 10. We declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. So here's what he's saying. He's saying the rulers of this age could not 
grasp that Jesus was the Lord of glory or they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have crucified him. And he says the reason why they couldn't is because human wisdom and human pride cannot grasp the cross. That when we, all we can conceive of is what we would do. The idea that God, God Almighty, would appear in human flesh and then die for his enemies. That the Lord of glory would appear in human flesh and die for his enemies is absolutely hidden from human wisdom and human pride. The only way you get to believing in the crucified God that has purchased for us our salvation is by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to reveal this. You can't get there with human logic because the cross, Paul says, this is why I don't use eloquent words. I'm not trying to oppress you. I just preach Christ crucified. The cross is a stumbling block. It is the stumbling stone. That's Isaiah 8, 14. God says in Isaiah, he says, I lay in Zion a precious stone, a proven corner stone. Whoever builds on it will not be Shaken. But it says that the the Jewish people are going to stumble over this stone. Why does our pride stumble over the cross? Well, for two reasons. How can we believe in a God that would allow himself to be crucified? That would come in vulnerability and weakness and allow him to be himself to be crucified. And then here's the really horrible part for human pride. Are we so bad that this is necessary? Are we, are we so bad? Aren't we good enough that we, maybe we need an adjustment. Maybe we, but really? Are we so bad that we, that God himself had to come down and die in our place? No eye has seen it. No ear has heard it. It couldn't even come into the heart of man. What God has prepared for those who love him. What did God prepare for you? Jesus, salvation. The rulers of this age, the builders rejected the cornerstone. Human pride rejects Christ. If you can see his salvation today, you need to be thankful because you didn't figure it out. Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? This is all in Matthew 16. Peter says these words, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Here's what Jesus says to him. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter. You didn't figure this out. The father revealed it to you. He said, therefore, I'm going to call you son son of Barjona. I'm going to, from this day on, I'm going to call you Peter, which is Petros, which means a small stone. I'm going to call you Peter. And on this rock, and that's the word Petra, and it means bedrock. Upon this bedrock, I'm going to build my church. The bedrock of the church is, is not Peter. He was the first guy. The bedrock is the revelation from the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God, that God, that God in heaven, the creator loved us so much 
that he became a baby. We're going to be celebrating that soon. Took on human flesh and then humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. The stone. The stone of burial that said he was dead. It's also the stone of resurrection that that was moved to say that he's alive. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has provided salvation. And everybody that can see it is invited to come. But to see it, you can't use your pride. You've got to humble yourself like a child. Listen, I'm going to close with this verse. This is so good. Listen to John 9, 41. This is the Pharisees talking to Jesus. They're saying, are, are you saying that, that, we're, that we're blind? And here's what Jesus said. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Because you guys think you have it all figured out, you can't see it. If you would just humble yourself and say, we can't see, then God would be able to reveal it to you. Could we have every head bowed, every eye closed, the worship team's coming back? Maybe you're here today and you have struggled (laughs) with the gospel. You've struggled to believe that this is all about God's goodness and what God did for us in Christ. And you've still been in kind of religion where if I'm good enough or if I go to church enough or if I'm moral enough and and maybe even you've thought of yourself as a good person that God could never send to hell. Friend, we all need to rethink that. God is very, very holy and we're way more sinful than we thought we were. We're way more ungrateful than we thought we were. And what it took was the cross. The cross is the greatest demonstration of God's holiness that it would even require that and of his love that he would do it for us. Jesus died for you. The Bible says that today he's alive and he, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And so my question today is, is God knocking? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Is he inviting you. He's the only one that can invite you. And the reason why we have every head bowed and every eye closed is because this is between you and God. It's very personal. The reason why I have people raise their hands is because somebody helped me open my door and I like, to, I like to help other people open theirs. So if that's you today, Jesus is knocking. You want him to be your savior. Would you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me? I got that hand right there. God bless you. All over this place. Just raise your hand up. I see there's two hands in the balcony. God bless you guys. Anybody else by upraised hand? I got you, bro. God bless you. Holy Spirit is here right now, giving an invitation. Could everybody that raised their hand just slip your hand over your heart right now and just pray something like this in your own words? Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I am so willing to own that I cannot save myself. But Lord, I want to own today that you came, you appeared in the flesh. You laid your life down on a cross for me, for my sin. Because, not because I'm good, but because you're good. And you rose from the dead. 
And beyond all that, you have come, you've reached out to me today. I hear you knocking. And Lord, right now, by faith, I open my heart. I say, Jesus, come in and save me. Come in, wash me. Come in and make me your own. I want to build my life on the foundation of salvation that your death and resurrection laid for me. I receive now by faith. And I say, thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand to our feet together? So here's the second call. (laughs) You are in great need right now because of circumstances in your life. And today God's shown you, oh boy, my first step is not something God's going to do. I need to make that sacrifice of thanksgiving. If that's you, just open your arms. We're just going to make that sacrifice right now. Lord, I declare over my brothers and sisters, over their finances, over their health, over their relationships, over direction they need, over everything. I declare this over them. You are good and your mercy endures forever. I declare your goodness over them. We say, God, thank you for who you are. You are not just good. You are good to me. You you hear prayer. You love us. And Father, I just bring this sacrifice today of thanksgiving. And God, please forgive us where we've joined the world and just grumbling and complaining and whining. God, we, we want to shine for you. So we make that sacrifice today, Jesus. Now, if you want to hang out and just be in his, we're going to bring the lights down a little. If you want to hang out and just worship and thank God, please get your kids. But, um, and then we'll have teams up here as well if you want more prayer. But God bless you and have a great day.